I am going to preach tonight. Uh, I'm really excited about this. The, the sermon that I'm going to preach tonight is Remember, Don't Settle, and we're going to be in Numbers chapter 32. I do want to express again how much you collectively have meant to me and Megan. Um, you've challenged my leadership. You've challenged my patience at times. You've challenged my maturity most days. Um, but we really appreciate what you've done to help us build as leaders and to be ready for this opportunity. Because if we weren't here volunteering every week, we wouldn't be ready. So thank you for that. And I'm going to try not to cry. <sighs> so in Numbers 32, this is one of the final moments right before the Israelites go into the promised land. Everybody knows this story, yes? Maybe? Hopefully? So that right before they go into the promised land, they stop and they're in a land called Gilead, and they're, they're just hanging out there for a second. So these people have been bitten by snakes, gone without water, been attacked by nomadic warriors, but each time God delivered them. God was faithful, faithful to his promise. And this nation is poised to go across the Jordan River and begin taking the promised land. The people have witnessed the glory of God at Mount Sinai. They've experienced his wrath by being forced to wait for their parents to die in the desert so they could actually go to the promised land. And they're almost there. The Lord himself will lead him into the promised land, lead them all into the promised land, and they'll defeat their enemies in battle. Think about the excitement. If you, I know most of you aren't 40, so Pastor Jeremy, if you had to wait 40 years for something, no, I'm just... That's pretty funny. I like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> think about if you had to wait pretty much your whole life for something at this point. You were promised as a child. You were born in the desert. You spent your whole life wandering around, and then you're ready. You're ready to walk into the promise of God. Think about that excitement. They're, they're going to dwell in cities they didn't build. They're going to eat crops that they didn't plant. The time has come. So Numbers 32, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliela, Sabam, Nebo, and beyond. Boom, nailed it. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So these two tribes waited their entire lives to be ready for this moment, and they said, eh, I'm just going to hang out here. What kind of craziness? Can you imagine waiting your whole life for something? And it's literally, I checked it on the map, it's three miles away. The promise of God is three miles away, and they're like, bye, enjoy it. Hope you, hope you write to us. That'd be great if you did that. No, I'm going to preach a lot better if you interact with me a little bit today. It's my last Wednesday. You can shout. You can say amen. You can say that's good. You can say preach it, white boy, if you really want to. That's fine. But I'm going to preach a lot better if you are a little interactive. Okay. 
So their exact words in verse 5 are pretty telling. They say, don't take us across the Jordan. Do not take us across the Jordan. Not don't make us go. Don't ask us to go. Do not force us to go. Not only are they not willing to, under their own power, walk into the promise of God, they're not willing to be pushed into the promise of God. They prefer the comforts of Gilead to the conquest of Canaan. And really, I mean, who can blame them? They had a lot of herds, a lot of flocks. God had really blessed them. They were comfortable, rich by standards of that day. Why not just relax, be happy, get a little complacent? Why not? But Moses gets mad, as any good leader would, and reminds them that this is exactly what their fathers did 40 years ago. He reminds them that the inability to step into God's promise is the reason they've been wandering in the desert for the last 40 years. So this is the next generation. Why haven't they learned from the failure of the past? Guess what? In this story, you're the next generation. Learn from everyone else's mistakes. Please, for the love of God, I'm not perfect. Pastor Jeremy's not perfect. None of us are perfect. And when we make some mistakes, pay attention and then fix them in the next generation. Please. We've all, <laughs> we've all been guilty of this, though. We've been guilty of this, right? Sometimes day by day, and we wonder, why can't we fix this same issue? Or if it's generational, you know, abuse or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, some sort of addiction. But that's not the only thing that holds back these tribes. They're lazy. They don't want to fight. So Moses tells them, hey, you're just going to sit here while the rest of Israel fights your battle for you so you can relax on the other side? Verse 15 says that if Reuben and Gad persist in their request, God will destroy the entire nation. Their laziness not only stops them from the promise of God, but has the ability to stop the rest of Israel from achieving that too. So what can we learn from these Israelites? Uh, verse 15 calls them a brood of sinners. How would you like to be that legacy in the Bible? A brood of sinners. That sounds fun. Not really. So don't disregard today God's goodness of yesterday. Reuben and Gad, these tribes, they forget the past. These people, again, they grew up in the desert. All they did was wander around the desert for 40 years. But in this period of waiting, they were never in need. They never wanted really anything. So I'm going to put this into perspective. In these 40 years of their life, God provided clear and visible direction daily with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. For those of you that don't know your Bible verses, that's a giant fire pillar, like literally like a pillar for a building, that this entire tribe of Israel just like, yep, that's the way we're supposed to go. We'll do that. That's good. Right? Talk about clear direction from God. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a pillar of fire in your life that you'd just be like, oh, God wants me to go that way. That'd be a lot easier. They had that daily. God also provided them daily food. 
bread from heaven. I don't know when's the last time you had bread from heaven fall from the sky every day, but I've never had it happen. Sounds like something you shouldn't complain about, but they did because they're the Israelites and that's what they do. They watched a walking stick, like a a shepherd's rod, blossom in front of their eyes and produce ripe almonds overnight. A stick. So these are church miracles that you've probably heard of. We're going to keep going down the list here. God provided water out of a rock. A rock. And we're not talking about a little bit of water. Oh, the Israelites, they played and they splashed in the water. We're talking about enough water for roughly 2 million people and their livestock out of a rock. I want you to understand what they're complaining about here. And then God provided provided another way out of his wrath with this bronze serpent. So they had complained enough and enough and enough, and God was like, okay, fine. You can just die in the desert. It's your business. Sent some snakes and they got bit. And then he says, well, maybe you guys deserve another chance. And gives him a way out. So Reuben and Gad, standing on the wrong side of Jordan, they just decide to forget all of this. What? 38 years earlier their parents did the exact same thing. Their parents chose to forget the past. Again, all these miracles, I just want you to fully understand how stupid this is. God provided clear and visible direction daily with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to their parents. Again, daily food with manna to their parents. Protection with an angel as they wandered through the desert. Literally an angel followed them everywhere they went to make sure they were okay. Like guardian angel, but for real. (laughs) But that's a theology argument you're not ready to hear. Uh, God provided escape. Parting the Red Sea. Again, this is one of those church miracles. But I don't know when's the last time you went to Lake, Lake Jacomo and you're like, I need to go to the other side. And the waves went and stood up like walls, and you walked through on dry land. Has it ever happened for you? Never happened for me. That happened, and then when they got through on dry land, boom, back down, flooded, drowned the whole Egyptian army. Everybody that was chasing them died. Is that something you would easily forget? They did. God changed undrinkable water from Mara into good water. He provided water from a different rock. That happened twice, for those of you that don't realize that. Again, for two million people and their livestock, that happened. And then he provided a military victory because Moses did this. No, losing, yes, winning. No, losing, yes. Do you understand that? How crazy that is. I think so many times we're so quick to dismiss miracles of the Bible because we've heard them before and not realize what they actually are. 
They're miracles. These are things God did for a people that he loved, his chosen people, of which you are now part because you are part of Jesus' family. Do you understand this? God is willing to do these things for you. So then they arrive outside of Canaan after all of this happens in roughly six months, and they get spiritual amnesia. Ooh, it's scary. We're going to spy on this land, but ooh, those people are so big. Why are they so big? We can't take this land. They're so big. I don't know about you, but big people don't scare me. (laughs) Shut up, George. (laughs) They said, these men are huge, and we are like grasshoppers. Interesting little side note here. The people of Canaan never called the Israelites grasshoppers. They called themselves grasshoppers. This shows that not only they had a wrong view of God, who had done so much for them to this point, but they had a wrong view of themselves in God's eyes. So instead, they choose to disobey and not believe in his promise. I don't understand that. Six months, all that stuff happens. You walk through on dry land through a sea, And you get to the place that God says, yes, I'm going to give it to you. And you're like, "Mm, too big. I'm out. Can't do it. You understand how crazy this is, right? And then 38 years later, their kids do the same thing. Mm -mm. This is good. We're cool here. Like, you brought us this far. I know it's only three miles, but it's good for livestock. We'll just stay. They forget their provider, their protector, their creator, their conqueror. But we're not like that. We never do that. We're better than the Israelites, aren't we? Yeah. I remember everything God's ever done for me when I'm reminded. If God parted the Red Sea in front of your eyes, would you forget in six months? No, you wouldn't. But God has parted a lot of spiritual red seas in your life, and you forgot that. I'm not saying that I'm any better. There's a lot of spiritual obstacles that have been flung out of the way. And I forget, because I'm only human. And then we groan and we complain, and why me, God? Why is this next thing happened to me? I know you took care of that big boulder, but now this one's in front of me, and I need this one gone. Why don't you trust the God that's done so much for you? Four decades wandering in the desert, waiting for their parents to die so they can walk into the promise of God, and they just forget it. The Lord wanted to give them Canaan, but they wanted to settle where they were at. And not only did they want to, they were allowed to. In verse 33, we see, So Moses gave to them, to the sons of Gad, and to the sons of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh, the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities, with their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. They were allowed to settle in, and they were allowed to be comfortable. Don't 
let God's blessings stop you from pursuing his promised plan and purpose. And that sounds a little sacrilegious. I get that. But don't get so comfortable in what he's already giving you that you can't step out of that into the next thing. So if I took $100, I don't have it, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm poor now. You, you have $100? You're just going to give me? No, that's not the illustration, that's not how it works. Uh, if I had $100 and I said, Ryan, because you're not paying attention a little bit. <laughs> I said, Ryan, here's $100, would you be happy? Yeah. And then what if I took it one step further and I said, you know what, this $100 is nice but I'm going to show up at your house every day and give you $100. You would cry? That, is that happiness? Okay. Snapchat maps. I'm a hacker. Uh, it is crazy. Gross. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so $100 every day. You'd be happy, so happy you're going to cry. Like, that's what you... You do cry a lot. I'll give you that. But it's still, still a happiness thing. After a while, you start to get used to it, maybe, right? You're like, oh, he's showing up every day with $100. Like, I'll just spend this 100 because then tomorrow I'm going to get another 100 Start factoring it into your monthly budget. So let's say after a year of that, for my math people, a year at $100 a day is... Thank you, Gabe, 36500 Thank you, KGB, for that education. We do appreciate. <laughs> he didn't even pay attention. <laughs> I said, I want to stop. I'm going to stop giving you that $100. You might want me not to stop, right? Like, you'd be happy with that $100 every day. And I'm like, oh, I just want to stop for a little while. <laughs> You'll take it. But then if I said, I don't want to just stop for a little while. I'm going to stop for a whole year. You'd start to really, like, not like that, right? You're like, why, is, why was he so nice and now he's so mean? But then what if I told you after that year I'm going to start giving you $500 every day? Your eyes tell the whole story. For those of you that can't see, she went, <laughs> Okay. You'd at least, so you'd at least think about it, right? You'd, you'd think about stopping the blessing to walk into the promise because you trust me, right? Like I've never not told you the truth, sometimes brutally honest, but never not told you the truth. So you have no reason not to trust me. So why do we not trust the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe when he says he's going to do something. Why are we so scared to walk out of what he's already given us into something new, something better, something promised? That's a distraction. I'm not up here, and I'm never going to say it. I'm never going to say prosperity gospel if you give up what you're getting now, God's going to double it tomorrow. I'm never going to say that because I'm not a Joel Osteen. Can't do it. But I've told my 
my young adults and my high school fam time group here, if I could whisper into your ear individually the plans that God has for your life, it would blow your mind. And you'd be willing to let go of whatever you have now to pursue that. Because if it's good, it's from God. Period. The enemy of great is always good. We often sacrifice greatness in the kingdom of God for something that is good enough in ours. Deep down, many of us have this feeling that there's got to be something more. After this year, this can't be all that there is, right? Coronavirus, masks, social distancing, no friends. Oh, that's just me. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate you. There is something more than what you're currently experiencing. But you have to be willing to have the faith to step out into the promise of God. So back to Reuben and Gad. A little bit of research shows that this huge number of flocks and herds that they have is actually spoils of war from people that they've conquered. In their 40 years, they've defeated enough other armies and peoples that they just took their livestock. And now they're rich with herds and livestock because God blessed them. And then they turn and they want to use that very blessing as an excuse not to advance. So the question is not, does God want to bless you? The question is, can you handle the blessing when it comes, or will it prohibit you from following him later because you've let it turn into a stumbling block? Don't settle. Please, this is my last Wednesday. This is my last plea. Do not settle for Gilead. It might be good enough for you, but it's not great enough for God. But that's scary. Scary not to be comfortable. There's a reason the recliner is the most used seat in the Petri house. And it's not because it challenges me spiritually every day. It's because it's comfortable. But the bad news today, bad news, the word of God doesn't call you to be comfortable. I've looked, I've researched it, did all the stuff for this sermon specifically. It never says you're going to be comfortable. It says you will be comforted when trouble comes. Expect the opposite. James 1-2. Consider it all joy, my brethren and ladies, when you encounter various trials. For those of you in the crowd, does it say if you encounter? No. It says when. It's going to happen. It's not about being comfortable. It's about pursuit of God's promise. Do you believe that Peter, disciple, fisherman by trade, was in the recliner of his mind when he decided to step out of the boat onto the water and start to walk to Jesus? You think that was comfortable? No. He's never done that before. No one's ever done that before. That's crazy. If you said, let's go out on Jacomo, I'm going to walk out of the boat and just walk to the land, I would call you crazy. 
and maybe tell you you have way more faith than I do and hope you didn't sink. What about when he was on the balcony on the day of Pentecost, his first sermon ever, my first sermon ever was to like 20 people, 3,000 got saved that day. We don't know how many were in the crowd. Do you think he was comfortable doing that? No way. What about Paul, formerly Saul, murderer of Christians? You think he was comfortable when he got whipped five times? You think he was comfortable when he got beaten with rods three times? When he got stoned that one time and not like 420 stone, like legit rocks, like hit in the head with rocks stoned? Shipwrecked three times or when he was sitting in prison on multiple occasions? Do you think that was comfortable? No way. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, Rex, come on. You just picked like two champions of the faith and you think I didn't notice. Like, those are pretty good guys and I'm not like them. I'm not asking you to be Peter or Paul. I'm asking you to be who God called you to be. I'm asking you to walk into the promise that he's called you into. I'm asking you if you've settled for less than God's best because of his blessing and provision instead of pursuing his promise because it looks uncomfortable. I'm asking you to think about letting go of a good thing that God has given you in order to be able to accept the great promise that he has for you. It's really hard to receive something with a closed hand. So a little bit about myself. For those of you that don't know, I was called into ministry when I was 16. How many of you are 16? A few of you. David, you've been 16 at least four times. Don't lie to me. So I got called into ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what it was going to be. At the time, I was really excited, but a little nervous, kind of like right now. Um, As the months turned into years, my passion waned a little bit. And then fast forward eight years, Megan and I are attending church here faithfully. Um, And I feel this resurgence of that calling. Again, not really knowing what that looks like, but I can't shake it. So I start to get involved. Jeremy asks us to be volunteers here. We do it. We start helping with the young adults when they ask us to do that. We start getting on the courtesy team and the usher team and the count team, and we're doing all these things, men's ministry, women's ministry, all the things. We're not consumers anymore. We're contributors. Jeremy was talking about being a servant. If you're wondering what's missing from your church experience, it's you serving somebody else. Satisfying to your soul. You should always be pouring into somebody else. It's never about you in this building. It's about everybody else. After a few years of that, I felt like God was prodding me. And I gave him a little bit of attitude. Some of you know me. Uh, I'm volunteering with everything, right? I'm doing ministry, God. What do you want from me? And I hear God, not audibly, because I've never heard that. That'd be really cool and a lot easier. But really deep in my spirit, he just said, more. I want more. (laughs) I'm like, I I can't. There's no way I could give more time and continue to do my job. I, I can't do it. Vocational style ministry means moving my family somewhere they've never been 
to people they'll, they don't know, ripping them from everything that they love and care about. For you, I love you, but I love them too. I have to go back to school. It sounds terrible and expensive. But again, I just hear more. So I surrender to the idea of being comfortable. I don't actually do anything about it, but I surrender to the idea of it. And I sit paralyzed by fear of what action could actually bring. And I'm going to pray for wisdom. Clever, clever stall tactic. A few months later, I'm sitting in a prayer service. And at this time, for those of you that kind of know my story, I was unemployed. I literally had one prospect on the board, one interview. That's all I had. And I'm praying again for wisdom. Lord God, just tell me. You got this. I got this. We got this. You got this. Right? But then I want some favor, you know. God, give me favor with this one employer that actually thinks they might like me because nobody else is calling. Lord, I need a job. And as clear as it could be without being physically perceptible, I hear God say, I told you to take those classes. And I'm like, no, I got an answer. I'm, I know. I know that's the next step. But see, I'm unemployed right now. And if I sign up for that class, I have $40 in my bank account. $40 doesn't raise a family of five, in case you're wondering. And the state of Missouri doesn't know, because I'm on unemployment, they don't know what my bills are. And they're just kind of giving me what they think is enough. And it's not. Um, so, you know, if you could get me a job, that'll, I'll be happy to take that next step with you. That'd be great, you know, because I wanted his plan my way. And, no, do it. If I sign up for that class and those little girls are on the street, it's on you, God. I argued with him, and he's a big boy. He can take it. You can argue with him all you want. But in the end, he's right. I'm just going to save you some, some heartache there. God's always right. So I do it. Sign up for the, the class. I write the check. 18 hours later, I get a call. The one prospect that I had said, we'd like to offer you the job. Can you start tomorrow? Cool. Thanks, God. Really appreciate that. The issue wasn't that I had grown comfortable in my situation. I'd grown comfortable with what I thought God called me to be. I'd grown comfortable in what I thought ministry was supposed to be for me. Don't be so comfortable in your situation that you miss the actual call of God because you think you're doing enough. The problem is when we allow ourselves to be comfortable in our faith, it causes us to become complacent with our Father. I knew. I knew what God had done for me before. Megan knew. We'd been through some real, real struggles. Financially, we got married really young, you know, the whole thing. We didn't really know what we were doing. But God was faithful. But that wasn't on my brain. I had more pressing issues, right now issues. Our complacency leads to disconnection, and disconnection leads to spiritual laziness. Believe it or not, the enemy would like to get to you 
and make you become complacent. Because when he can't get you to turn around and head back to Egypt, he will settle for you settling. He will settle for your non-movement as long as you're not progressing. He's winning. But why not? Why doesn't God desire you to lull you into complacency? It sounds so much easier to be comfortable. In the words of Francis Chan, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. God doesn't desire for you to have a life where he's not necessary. Let me say it again for the people in the back. God doesn't want to have, for you to have a life that he is not necessary to have in. I want you to understand, you can't get comfortable, you can't get lazy, you can't stop progressing. You should be taking risks, God-sized risks, when he calls you to do that. It's not comfortable. We're really excited, but we have no idea what Lynn, Missouri is going to look like. We've been there twice, okay? We've met students there, and we're really excited about what God has planned, but it's anything but comfortable. So I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. But the thing is, when we settle, we don't always settle in a bad place. It's not always like a terrible place. In verse 4, we see that the land is for livestock, and then the servants have livestock. That sounds like a good fit. But again, if he can't get you to turn back to Egypt, he will settle for you settling every time. I really, I really want you to focus, focus in on all the things God has ever done for you. We talked about it in our, our fam time. Things don't happen by coincidence. Things don't happen by accident. There is a God who orchestrates your days. Okay? God's parting red seas for you in your life already. Things that you don't even see are coming. He knows they're there and he's ready to part that sea. I don't know what's causing you complacency. And you should have talked about it when you, if you had time. Maybe it's refusing to be generous. I don't think that's the case because most of you did pretty good. I mean, 30 grand, that's pretty good for Speed Delight. Good job. Clap, clap at yourselves. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe your relationship and your spiritual complacency has crept in because your communication with your Redeemer went from being a daily priority to a weekly option. Jeremy's going to talk in the coming weeks about foundational things. And he's going to ask you to do things that seem so basic, but they're so important. The building blocks of your faith in God start with the basics. Don't get complacent in the routine because God's called you to his promise. Maybe you've settled into complacency with him and all you do is check the boxes. Maybe the, the routine is good enough for you. These foundational things, you're like, yep, read the Bible. Yep, prayed. Yep, worshiped. 
And those are good things when they're done with the right heart. But if you're only doing it to check the box and be paper Christian, task list Christian, it's not good enough. I'm going to ask a few of the leaders to just be on the prayer team really quick. No matter where you are tonight, whether it's your first time here and you're blessed and highly favored because you only had to deal with me one day. If it is your hundredth time here, I'm so happy you're here. But wherever you are, you are on the banks of your own Jordan. And God is calling you to his promise. And it is up to you right now to take the step or to settle. Are you going to walk into the promised land that he has appointed for you? Or will you settle in Gilead?